0: We begin this new series in Psalm 119 today in Matthew chapter 4, counterintuitive, Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, flip over there this morning. Now, why would we begin a series in Psalm 119 in Matthew chapter 4? That seems quite confusing. Let me give you a few of those reasons why that is. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan in three major events. There might have been more that happened, but there's three predominant events that take place that the scriptures give us insight on. At the very last verse of Matthew chapter 3, verse 27, Jesus had already been baptized. The Spirit of God had descended on him as a dove and began his earthly ministry. In so doing, the Father had declared publicly before them all, Behold, this is my Son, in whom I am Well, please, this public declaration of the identity of Jesus Christ, very clearly articulated. We know Jesus is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who has taken on the fullness of a man, has been born by the power of the Spirit, the Virgin Mary. He has grown now and he's been baptized and begun this ministry at the age of 30 years old. The Father has given this public declaration, this is my Son. Now, the Spirit of God is going to lead Jesus not to a vacation, not to a resort, but into the wilderness. And in leading him into the wilderness, he'll be tempted by Jesus in three very direct attacks. My hope for us, and while we're starting this, as we begin this series through Psalm 119, as we'll read it together as a church family, Psalm 119 this morning, my hope for us is that we would see how the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in at least these three types, these three situations, in empowering Jesus Christ in His ministry. That the Spirit of God might use this series through Psalm 119 to increase our love and hunger for Jesus Christ, to worship Him, in our lives to guard us in temptation and prepare us for the different trials that will come before us that none of us may very well be aware of individually or corporately. So these three different types, these three different examples from Matthew chapter 4 that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God in our life as well through this series as we treasure up the Word of God. As we aim to be a people, as we aim to be a people who live not simply by bread alone but by every Word of God. So, if you have your Bibles, let's flip over to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, follow along in the pewback Bible in front of you. Now, as we look first and foremost at the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He will use the Word of God to sustain you for incoming temptations. The Spirit will use the Word of God to sustain you for incoming temptations. This is likewise as our prayer, that Spirit of God, will you use your Word to prepare us for temptations that we don't even Register on our radar yet. So let's begin in verse 1. We'll just read verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Remember, right after this public declaration of his identity, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus is going to be attacked by Satan. He's going to be given these three different types of temptations. And in them, Jesus is going to use Scripture every time. He's going to rebuff Satan's attacks and statements with Scripture. And specifically, even though we're not going to read it together, or I'm not going to ask you to flip there, I I want you to write down Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Because Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6 through 8 in each of his three textual responses to Satan. A few observations in that. As we look at this first idea, the Spirit will use the Word of God to sustain you for incoming temptations. Deuteronomy 6 through 8, we have this unbelievable scene in which Moses is declaring to the people. The people have already, if you remember, they came earlier, 40 years earlier, right on the precipice of entering into the promised land. The spies are sent in, the majority come back, even though God has promised them this land to to inherit, to take, and yet they look at man and they trust their eyes rather than the promise and the character and the goodness of God. And so, They ultimately did not enter the promised land, and that leads to 40 years of traveling in the wilderness, 40 years of traveling in the wilderness because they doubt God. Now Jesus is in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, at the height of temptation, at the height of vulnerability in a human sense, we might say. And Jesus quotes in rebuffing Satan from the same text, the same statements that Moses gave for the people of Israel as they prepared to take the land after their wilderness wanderings. The parallels in the scriptures are absolutely incredible. Jesus is the perfect Israel. Jesus will not doubt the character and the nature of God. Jesus will perfectly obey the promises of God. Jesus will fulfill all the commands of scripture. He will not shudder where Moses and Israel fail. And this from the very beginning, we notice that The Spirit will use the Word of God to sustain you for incoming temptations. So now we know temptation arises in our lives, not only from demonic forces or Satan, but also from the flesh, our fallen flesh. James 1 unpacks that in greater detail. The flesh endures within us a hungering to be satisfied. It conceives, it gives birth to sin and sin to death. So temptations that come our way, be they from the flesh, the fallen man, the old nature, or be they from demonic forces, the fallen angel, Satan, who will have his lot in the eternal lake of fire, not as one torturing, but as one who is ultimately enduring the wrath of God for all eternity. Satan is not a caricature. He is not a myth. He is a very real fallen spiritual being. Do you believe that? But like no, I mean, like, do we really believe that? If we believe that, will we prepare in this way as though we really believe the Holy Spirit of God will use the Word of God to guard us and protect us for temptation that is going to knock at each of our doors in the coming weeks in ways we cannot anticipate? The Lord Jesus Christ... Obedient to the Spirit of God who had led him out into the wilderness to be tempted. What makes the wilderness the wilderness isn't simply that it's a place of exposure. But what makes the wilderness so dangerous is that it's the place where Satan has come. I'd imagine Satan doesn't have a hut sitting out in the wilderness. Why Satan is in the wilderness is because Jesus is there. He's not eaten or drank for 40 days or 40 nights. He's fasted in this sense. And then then what do we have in a very real way? He has Jesus now in his crosshairs. Now is the time to strike, and Satan strikes. Satan strikes. Oh, that our prayers as we walk through this text, as we walk through Psalm 119 for the coming 22 weeks, is that one of our prayers would be that God would use this text, he would use specifically the Spirit of God, as we learn and we pray through and we read the Word of God, to strengthen us for temptation that is incoming on each of our lives. Secondly, the Spirit will use the Word of God to shape you in Christlikeness when life halts. We're going to unpack that in just a moment. Verses 2 through 7 is what we're going to read. We're going to look at two of the first three encounters that Satan has with Jesus. And we believe that the Spirit will use the Word of God to shape us into Christlikeness even when life halts, even when we find ourselves at the most vulnerable situations, when Satan sees that, that, that Jesus is at his most vulnerable, you see, who was the one that led Jesus into the wilderness? Was it Satan? No. Who led Jesus out into the wilderness where he would be tempted? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Because the Spirit shapes us into the image of Christ. Likewise, even in situations when we find ourselves hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or stressed, these be not, need not be excuses for sin. Each of those, as we unpack them, as we read them, and we think about them together, I want you to go through there and think in your life, have I ever used that as an excuse for sin, of attitude or of action? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to lash out at you, I'm just hungry. Yeah, listen, I'm sorry I lost my temper on you, I've just had a bad day, I'm just kind of angry. All these different examples are areas where we find ourselves the height of vulnerability. The question becomes, even when I'm at my greatest of vulnerable situations of relapse or of sin, will I find myself using them as excuses, or will I find themselves as moments to know my vulnerability and to run doubly quickly to the Lord Jesus Christ, to run quickly to the Spirit of God, to run to the Word and ask the Spirit to fortify me, to go to God in prayer and to go to my brothers and sisters in Christ and ask for encouragement, prayer, strength, and accountability in our lives. So let's read verse 2 through 7 as we see. Many of these five factors, at least here, in a fingerprint form. Verse 2 of chapter 4, Matthew. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which makes a lot of sense. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Satan said to him, if you are the Son of God, twice now, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan quotes two texts. In verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. A few observations before we walk through this Holtz acronym that's been used Uh, well before. I did not make that up, that acronym. It's been used quite often. A few observations. First, notice what the devil goes for first and foremost. Does Satan go to Scripture first? No. What does Satan go for right away? The same thing he went for Adam in the garden, In, in, in the beautiful garden, not in the wilderness. Remember, Adam and Eve are in the garden. What did Satan tempt Eve in? Did God really say Did God really say? Satan's primary tactic, his number one approach that he's found tremendous success with from the very beginning is to question the identity of God. God, I know you're true, I know you're good, but I really don't think you should allow this to happen. God, I did not ask for this. And though those are genuine lamentations that come from our life in seasons of grief or in guilt or in whatever it is that that befalls us, a very real question which Satan desires to do in our lives is to get us to question the trustworthiness and the character of God. That's his primary attack. And he does it in a second way. And have you ever played that game as a kid growing up? I don't know what it's called. And whatever I called it in Missouri, you clearly have a different name for everything in Texas. So I'd be wrong anyway, and you'd be correcting me. So have you ever done this game where you, you sit, you're maybe a foot away, and you're, you're, and you're stand squared away like this, and you've got your, your hands like this, and the only thing you can do, the goal is to push the other person off balance. You ever done this game? This would be a great game for salt and pepper when they get together for, for lunch <laughs> next week, okay? So the goal, you have two tactics. Tactic one is you can try and meet fire with fire, and you you push at the same time, and you knock them off balance. And if they move their foot at all, they lose. But there's a second tactic that's, that's just as good. So you can wait for them to attack you with all their might, and what do you do with your hands? You move them out of the way, and they fall off balance. Well, Satan has those same two type tactics that are his primary goal for you and I. And he attacks us at different times when we're vulnerable. Number one is to get you to say, with force, God is not trustworthy. He is not worthy of leading your life. You can't trust Jesus, really. Does the Word of God really say? But The second tactic that does the same, the very next day when you begin to understand, no, He really is who He says He is, He moves His hands. And Satan's tactic in this way is to get you to say, He really is holy and I so am not. I am not worthy he probably can't love me. He whispers into your ear, there's no way he loves you after what you did in your past. You're disqualified. And the shame washes over and your ministry becomes largely ineffective because you have believed the second part of this lie attacking the identity of who you truly are. I am a child by grace and grace alone. As we sang a few moments ago, but second observation before we walk through these H-A-L-T-S is even though Satan's primary tactic is not to go to the Scripture, he's not afraid to go to the Scripture, is he? He goes to the Scripture, but he goes to the Scripture, the Scripture like a beautiful fire. The Scripture is meant to be used like a blacksmith, shaping us into the image of Christ. The Scripture is to be used like a fire in a fireplace, warming us in the coldness of life. But Satan uses scripture like an arsonist, starting wildfires here and there. He takes it out of context everywhere, hoping to consume and cause any kind of division that he can possibly cause. His name of the game and how Satan uses scripture is out of context and total chaos. That's what he does. So Christian, be ready and know our scripture well enough to identify when it is being used. So HALTS, H-A-L-T-S, let's notice these in our text I want to do this for two reasons. Number one, I don't just want to show us where we're vulnerable in our lives, but my hope for us, each of us, is that we would be able to see, you know what, that one resonates most with me right now. It resonates with me. So I need to be sure, when this begins to happen in my life, that I don't simply say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm vulnerable, but I need to be doubly intentional to run after Jesus Christ. I need to be doubly intentional to pursue the Lord right now. I will not give provisions to the flesh. I will not make an excuse for sin. So be doubly sure to do that. But secondly, in the fullness of even general counseling, all these qualities here that makes up halts that we're going to walk through, Jesus was at the height of all of them, and yet he was without sin. And so, oh, that this text would lead us to worship Jesus Christ, the one who was tempted in all ways, and yet he was without sin. So let us remember the next time we're angry, the next time we're lonely, the next time we're tired, the next time we're stressed, that we worship a King, Jesus Christ, who was all of those things in the greatest of senses, and yet he was without sin. It's him that we worship, the God-man, amen? So let's walk through. We see uh, in verse 2 that Jesus was hungry. It says it very explicitly, he was hungry after fasting from food for this time. And general counselors, we might, we might give the information. But we'll find what, what fills you. So obviously, if you're hungry, what should you do? You should probably, sort of the Spirit of God leading you and, and, and fasting for a time, would be to eat something. But as we apply this to our life as believers, we need not only desire food and drink, but it ought to lead us to a greater desire for the giver of the food and the drink. So when we're hungry, let us not just say, I'm hungry, I need to eat. But let us also say with that, Oh, I need the Lord even greater than I need to eat and to drink. Let that be a constant reminder every time we get hungry, which is typically at least three times a day. Or if it's a teenage boy, about 27 times a day, I've heard from parents. So whenever you're hungry, let it be a greater reminder. Lord, I need you as great as I need water and drink. Would you fill me, Lord? Would you fill me? There's a number of examples I could give. We're not going to walk through this text, but please write down 1 Kings 19 before we go on to angry. This is under hunger. 1 Kings 19, if I had another 30 minutes or so to spend with you, we'd walk through 1 Kings 19 together. The examples and the parallels of Jesus Christ with Elijah are unbelievable. They're incredible. In 1 Kings 19, just one of those, I can't help myself. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah gets a death threat from Jezebel. And he runs and he leaves his servant and he goes into the wilderness and before he even begins this 40-day, 40 40-night 40 journey, he gives up. And the angels come and minister to him food and drink. He gives up at the very beginning of his time in the wilderness. Jesus Christ, spoiler alert, he survives these temptations. He thrives in these temptations. He rebukes Satan with Scripture. And then, only then, after 40 days and 40 nights, not at the beginning, but after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, after all the temptations that have come, Only then do the ministering angels come and minister to him. That's our great Savior. Hungry and angry. Angry. Verse 3 and 6. What does Satan do? He questions Jesus' identity. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Now earlier in verse 1, he's called the devil. Here, he's called the tempter. And then later, he's called Satan, which is the accuser the accuser. Remember that name. Every time you hear the word Satan, the accuser. Oh, he's good at it. When somebody questions who you are, it makes us angry. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine somebody you found out today. Imagine you had a child and you found out today after you got home from church that that child was being at school texted Emailed, called, social media app, all the things that are there. Cornered in the bathroom. And that person was saying, Listen, your parent does not love you. You're actually kind of gross to them. And they just kept bombarding them with this message. How would you feel when you heard that was happening? How would you respond today at 3 o'clock if you found that out? Would you be angry? You would be broken and you would be so angry. And that's what the accuser does to us, the children of God, by faith in Christ alone. That's what he did to the people of Israel. That's what he does. And so what should we do with our anger? We should allow the urgency that it creates to go that quickly to the Lord not to use that as a provision for vengeance in our lives, but to use it to go to the Lord. So Ephesians 4, Paul's going to say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not provide Satan a foothold. Satan who kills, steals, and destroys. Don't provide him a foothold. Use the urgency that the anger gives you to solve the problem, and specifically to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ that much more passionately and to resolve the issues quickly. So he tells them in Ephesians 4, if you steal... The thief, he didn't just say don't steal anymore, but let the anger lead to transformation. Pursue the Lord and by the Spirit of God, what does the Holy Spirit do? He takes the one who was stealing, the thief, and then he tells him, take your hands that you were stealing with and go get a job. And then get the job and work hard with your hands. You work hard. You work so hard as though you're working for the Lord. You work hard and then you earn money and then give it, right, (laughs) to the one in need transformation. Use your anger as transformation as you pursue the Lord Jesus Christ in moments of anger. Don't let them be provisions of the flesh. Hungry, angry, lonely. Verse 1, he was in the wilderness. Now obviously Christ had communion with the Father and the Spirit that is never broken. Even though Satan wants to put a wedge or at the very least a small little splinter between that relationship, he will not succeed. But Jesus is physically lonely. When are you lonely? When do you find yourself being lonely, or lonely? Ironically, when I think sin happens in most of our lives, we desire isolation, don't we? That's how I am. Now, physically, I can't do that. So if I just didn't show up for a couple months, you wouldn't be like, uh, hey, that would, that would probably catch your attention. But emotionally and spiritually, I can isolate. Emotionally and spiritually, I can, and so can you. So, when you are tempted to withdraw yourself from fellowship, at least emotionally, oh, lean in doubly fold into the bride of Christ. Lean doubly fold into the body of Christ, who longs to, to love you and to cry with you and to encourage you and to minister the Word of God to you. That's the beauty of the Word of God and the family of God. I'm so proud of Gloria Bay and our others that, that have helped to lead and spearpoint this lay led ministry of seasoned singles and service. To take a season that is often marked with loneliness and to make it a spearhead for fellowship and service and care of one for another. They meet today at 5.30. That is a beautiful, beautiful ministry. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Isaiah 40 gives much of this information to captive Israel. He gives this text as a sign of hope to them. At the very end of that text, Isaiah chapter 40, He says what you've probably heard many often times in verse 29. He gives power, giving them a word of encouragement. He gives power to the faint, and, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths will faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. When we are tired, let us not use exhaustion as an excuse for sin. What are the times in your week, in your day, when you find yourself most tired? Is it right when you come home? Is it right when you come home? When is it? Don't allow that to be a provision for sin, but double down in pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him, Lord, I want to mount up on you right now. Would you give me strength like that of an eagle because I am exhausted? Articulate that prayer out loud to the Lord when you are tired. Pursue him even when you're tired and pursue him when you're stressed stressful verse 7 Jesus rebukes Satan and says you should not put the Lord your God to the test I don't know about you but tests I find to be can be stressful yes that's right you're not getting out of your finals but that sounds good to me all right that's good the tests are stressful and, and what tests often do is they make us become task oriented because we must get that done What can happen, though, when we become so task-oriented in our lives is what happens to our call to love God and to love people. It gets moved to to the back of the line, right? It gets put on the back burner. And in our lives, we are only thinking of do this task no matter the cost. So when you have deadlines that begin to encroach upon your life, slow down and realize your vulnerability to sin and pursue the Lord increasingly. And as you have friends and family in your life that you know are under a lot of stress, pray for them, ask them how they're doing, pursue them, minister the word to them. So we pray and trust that the Spirit will use the word of God to shape us through this series of Psalm 119, more to the Christ-likeness even when life halts. And finally, verses 8 through 11, the Spirit will use the word of God to equip you to serve and worship the Christ who refused to avoid the cross. We oftentimes, I think, misunderstand and we think Satan is mourning when Jesus goes to the cross. That's not true. I don't believe. Because Satan repeatedly is trying to get Jesus to avoid the cross. He does it right here. He offers him glory apart from suffering. And in Matthew 16, when Jesus tells his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem, I must be handed over, and I will be crucified. What does Peter tell Jesus? No way! And what does Jesus tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus came to endure the cross. We worship the one who did not choose comfort over the cross. We chose the one, we worship the one who came in obedience to the Father. Look, what, look at this text, look what he says here. Satan finally goes to this be-all, end-all to get him to avoid the cross. Verse 8 through 11, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Psalm 2, 8. Yahweh says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Satan was a counterfeit trying to give to Jesus what only Yahweh can give. Jesus knew this and yet the temptation had to be unbelievably massive. And yet the goodness of our king that we worship endured a fullness of temptation. The goodness of the king that we worship chose not to avoid the cross because Satan offered him a cross apart from suffering. He would have no kingdom without the cross. And the Son, in obedience to the Father, would choose to endure the cross. Praise God for that, amen? Endure the fullness of temptation. That's the King we worship. That's Jesus Christ, our Savior. He endured the suffering of all things for us. In obedience to the Father, we might be forgiven. Now, Psalm 119 contains 22 sections reflecting 22 different letters in the Hebrew alphabet. I want you to flip over in your Bible to Psalm 119. As these prayers that we echo, these demonstrations, we see how the Spirit uses the Word of God in the ministry and life of Jesus, we pray likewise as those who are children by grace in Christ, by faith. We pray that He would likewise empower our lives to be a people who know God in His Word who increasingly long and hunger for him in his word, that we would be increasingly transformed by the studying and the goodness of his word. Now, in this word scripture of Psalm 119, in this chapter, the longest chapter in all of the Bible, the word scripture is given eight different descriptions. We're going to hear it read in just a moment or two. Here's the eight we'll hear again and again regarding scripture. Word, testimony, ordinances, Promises, precepts, commandments, laws, and statutes, the sustenance from from God revealed in his spirit-breathed word in the person of Christ are provided for us for wisdom and endurance and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that all the scriptures find their promises in. That's the goodness that we have to look forward to, and this is what we pray that the Lord does in our lives, and this leads us into our next steps, which has one single challenge broken down into two parts. Of course, in that, it's in your own personal life, and each of our lives, that we would aim for the Spirit of God to lead us and to comfort us and convict us, to give us the courage to proclaim Christ to a broken world in desperate need of a Savior. But two parts to this challenge. Challenge one. My prayer for us as a church that we would take this challenge. The first part of the challenge entails you and I reading Psalm 119 out loud. Read it out loud once a week for the next 22 weeks. Read it out loud. Read it with pen in hand. Mark it up. Every week, if you have roommates, if you have a family you live with, read it out loud with them. Take time at the table. It'll take you under 20 minutes to read. No pressure on our four readers. They're going to read a little bit. I've set a a high bar for you. But it's the second part to that. I want you to look in Psalm 119.1 to see so I can give a demonstration. Now, in the week-to-week, if you don't get that, please do sign up for that write your email down on a connect card so we can make sure that's a primary loop of information in our church. But we'll attach an article on there, but I want to demonstrate for you what I mean by praying the Scripture. Look at Psalm 119, verse 1. When we pray the Scripture, the Scriptures are often said God's gift for us to pray back to Him, particularly the book of Psalms. In Psalm 119, 1, with my eyes open, I want to pray through, for example, as I'm reading this, I'm just Whatever the Spirit puts on my mind to read or, or to pray back to Him, I want to articulate that to the Lord. So I'm just taking line by line, maybe verse by verse. But let me pray Psalm 19.1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Lord, honestly, when I read that, I do not think of me as blameless. I know my sin, and you know my sin even greater than I know my sin. And yet I believe by faith in Jesus, I am truly blameless before you. You have made me blameless. And Father, I see here in your word that you call me to pursue a life that is blameless. So Father, help me to live publicly and privately in the same way, hungering for blamelessness. I want to be blessed. I want to be close to you in my life. So would your spirit convict me of the things in my life that make me distant from you? And Father, give me the courage to address them who walk in the law of the Lord. Father, I want to be a man that walks in the law of the Lord and I want to raise up people in my life. I want to lead my wife in such a way that she would walk more and more in line with your word because of me and not despite of me. God, I pray for my boys that they would grow in a fear of you to want to walk after you in their lives. God, that you would give them courage and integrity to do what is right before your law, before your scripture, rather than that of the world. Amen. And pray that through with your home. Line by line. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in 22 weeks? As a church family, we've read this psalm out loud 22 times. As a church individually, we've prayed this psalm back to the Lord in our own context, oh, what will the Spirit of God do with His Word in our lives? So readers, as our readers come forward to read this for us, I've chosen four readers who represent our church body. And if you have a text, please do follow along. This will make this that much smoother for us as they read the psalm for us for the first time for this week. Psalm 119. Afterwards, we're observed the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Good morning.
1: Let's in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. There we go. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those. Who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart who also do no wrong but walk in his ways you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently oh that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes then i shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments i will praise you with an upright heart when i learn your righteous rules i will keep your statutes do not utterly forsake me how can a young man keep his way pure Delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my, of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the ways of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord. Behold, I long for your precepts, in your righteousness give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimony before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes.
2: Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me but I do not turn away from your law when I think of your rules from old, of old I take comfort O Lord hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning I remember your name in the night O Lord and keep your law this blessing has fallen to me that I have that I have kept your precepts The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I... But I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me an understanding give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your world in your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they will know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may, that I may not be put to shame. they have almost made an end of me on earth but i have not forsaken your precepts in your steadfast love give me life that i may not that i may keep the testimonies of your mouth
3: forever o oh lord your word is firmly fixed in the heavens your faithfulness endures to all generations you have established the earth and it stands fast by your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word, accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statues forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word, depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh tremble for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way.
4: Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let not iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have pointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They drew near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word, like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments.
0: Praise God.